HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, a full-service marketing and commerce platform that helps restaurants get discovered, make more money, and engage their diners. Join over 8,000 restaurants already using Bento Box today to deliver better hospitality. Visit getbento.com slash chef today to get your first month free. That's getbento.com slash chef. HRN is now on Kitsch, the first live streaming community for the food obsessed. Go to K-I-T-T-C-H dot com and find HRN in the channel's listing. Uh, it's taken me a few minutes to put properly into words for today's guest business model is. <laughs> At first glance, I like it liken it to the experience I remember as a kid in the mall food court. Um, the fantasy realized of having all of your favorites available in one meal. However, Hungry House, its roster, and the way it works with its collaborators is much more than an indulgent trip to the mall. <laughs> I do love the mall though. It was founded by Kristen Barnett, um, who has previous experience at Dig and Zool Ghost Kitchen and started last year with your first season with our friend, Chef Wolby Reyes, among others, including Martha Cooper, and who else the other? Anybody other Ralston team? Williams, and then Rachel Grupo from The Good Smart. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so we've been going for a whole season, and we're yes. about to launch into a season two of Hungry House. So yeah. tell us a little bit about what the business is, and... Explain it better than that. <laughs> yeah, we, can, we can do that. Um, yeah, essentially, what we do is we partner with today's coolest up-and-coming chefs but <laughs> yeah yeah I mean um we we want to give chefs a way to scale access to their food and our business essentially provides an opportunity to license their recipes their signature dishes that maybe they've become known for on social media or through pop-ups and you know when you have the uh, like question come to you where can I get your food you can answer it then with Hungry House and so we're use, utilizing like a ghost kitchen virtual brand model, but I don't really like to associate with that because I think ghost kitchens sometimes have a reputation of a lack of transparency or low quality ingredients. And so we're really like, as we jokingly call it, the anti-ghost kitchen because we value those things so much. 
And also we are really a ghost kitchen for chefs. Um, understanding that the nature of being a chef has changed drastically in the last two years, and we want to provide an opportunity for more chefs to scale their business. Are you specifically finding chefs to work with, like Wolvie, that wouldn't necessarily have access to sharing the food on a regular basis? Otherwise, people that are doing pop-ups or special events and things like that? Exactly. Like, I think, you know, after going through this pandemic, which I think has been traumatic for a lot of people in our industry, uh, the dream of a brick and mortar is no longer that like kind of destination at the end of a long time that it was. Mm-hmm. And people are rethinking the structure of their careers, the opportunities that now exist with media, brand partnerships, and the fact that chefs and deservingly so have like really earned a place in society where like you like get TV shows and, and, you know, like chef's table, like was the early version of this. Now I think chefs are more important than ever to like our culture and people have such a great appreciation for them. And so you can do a lot more things without ever having to have a restaurant. Um, and I just don't think that's what everyone wants. And so we're really, you know, the answer to that. So we're making my classic, um, very popular babinka, which is like a Filipino coconut rice cake. And um, obviously I've kind of like romanticized babinka on through my social media. Yes. And this was- He makes sexy babinka. But um, I'm just really excited that like my babinka is accessible through Hungry House. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this recipe is sort of more of the classic version. But for season two, there's going to be like a decadent chocolate babinka, so, which was very popular during Valentine's Day when we um, did like a Valentine's Day drop. Yeah. So that's one of the cool things about Hungry House is we do like these interesting drops. Um, get people really excited about like what's happening and keeping people on the edge. So um, we that's kind of like a really cool model to sort of like do. So the menu that you create isn't necessarily just the exact same menu for the whole season. It can change. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so much flexibility. And so uh, working with Kristen and our culinary team has been sort of like um, exciting and get people in the kitchen making our food really, you know, they're like, learning new something every day and then doing something new collaborative dishes or new dish that we're going to be dropping. So um, the Wilbinka is kind of like sort of like a test to how people are reacting to like different versions of it. So we've done a holiday one and obviously a Valentine's one. So mm-hmm. before I can talk anymore, obviously we need to get to <laughs> yeah, uh, the actual making. <laughs> so I'm going to have my sous chef Alex <laughs> basically um, yeah. um, mixing in all the dry ingredients. Uh, so we have one and one fourth cup of rice really flour. Yeah, you can just um, put it into the mixing bowl. And then one and one fourth cup of the colorless rice flour. Two kinds of rice flour. Two kinds of rice flour. Uh-huh. So Tell me the, the difference. What's that? Tell me the difference again. So the glutinous rice flour is going to create that really bouncy, chewy, mochi yes, texture. So texture. people literally yeah. like gagging over for that. So yeah. I think that's what's makes Gagging in a good way. Gagging in a good way. You're not going to Important gagging. clarification. <laughs> it's sexy and you're yeah. gagging in a good way. Where can you get this at a normal grocery store? So um, mm. whole, I mean, you can get it at a 
really good um, whole food store or if you go to an Asian market, they usually have a range of rice flour, just making sure that you get an actual rice flour. Mm -hmm. And then separately, there's a, a different label for glutinous rice flour. Yeah. Um, so you have that all in on one bowl. And then you have a cup of granulated sugar. And then, domino. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then uh, baking powder, just a tablespoon. <laughs> And then uh, a tablespoon of it's too easy. It's all portion. Yeah, <laughs> She's a salt. professional here. <laughs> I mean, I come in ready and be prepared. He came with his knees. Sure. Um, yeah. Having a catering background and starting my business, like making sure everything is kind of like ready to go. So uh, once you have all the dry ingredients into the bowl, you want to mix it all together. So you have the salt, baking powder, all evenly distributed into the dry ingredients, and then. That's kind of done. Now we're going to move to the wet ingredients. And basically, you're going to add one full cup, well, no, one full can of unsweetened coconut milk. The type of coconut milk I would suggest using is the Arroyo D type of um, coconut milk. Yeah. Unfortunately, I was at Whole Foods, well, fortunately, and <laughs> they don't have Arroyo D, so it's going to, this is just like a regular organic coconut milk. Mm -hmm. And then, um, uh, uh, we have a half a cup of melted uh, coconut milk. Uh, not coconut oil. Milk, coconut yeah. oil. Now, is this a traditional babinka recipe, or is no? It it's a modified um, babinka recipe. So traditionally, uh, it's made with eggs and butter. So mm -hmm. I kind of um, you know took inspiration from the whole Fonseca's babinka recipe and then sort of um, changed it to a vegan version. So I already kind of like told Nicole that like, it's from your recipe, but I changed some of the ingredients and then sort of veganized it. Uh, and that's just to make it accessible to more people. Yeah, exactly. So traditionally babinka is made in a banana leaf, baked in banana leaf, and then served with a salted duck egg and cheddar mm. cheese. So it's more, <laughs> yeah. it sort of leans more savory side. Yeah, so yeah. this um, recipe is more to the sweeter side. So mm -hmm. I'm celebrating that in that way. Mm -hmm. um, and then we're gonna add a, a tablespoon okay, so not all that vanilla. Yeah. of vanilla extract um, into. Did you even bring your own measuring? Yes, I'm super prepared. So I like to be prepared. Yeah. Um, and um, of half a cup of sparkling water. I think it's a half a cup of sparkling seltzer or seltzer water. This is going to uh, basically create uh, the, um, the uh, binding. Yes, so a half a cup of sparkling or seltzer water. How sparkly does the sparkling water have? You to want to be super uh, bubbly. You want it to be really yeah, bubbly. super yeah. carbonated. Let's get your favorite super carbonated water. Uh, I <laughs> take bubbles only. You know? bu yeah, take bubbles only. Like yeah, and then add that into there. <clears throat> and then you're gonna whisk that all together. Shake, shake, shake. Not really shaking it, mix it. <laughs> Stirring. <laughs> Whatever you need. <laughs> um, so you want to also the oven preheated at 350 degrees. Yeah. And I have like a muffin tin that has like 12 um, holes, I guess. Not really holes, yeah. but like, um, and I already kind of like um, sprayed sprayer. coconut um, yeah. coconut oil on there. And then before we add the batter in there, we're going to 
mix in the wet and dry. So what I typically like to do, and Alex, you can do this for me, because yeah. you're the sous chef. Um, while you're whisking, I'm gonna like slowly. Um, yeah. Uh, it's emulsifying it. Yeah. So tell me, mm -hmm. as a chef, so mm -hmm. first of all, how long is this each season and why did you choose that length of time for the seasons? So each season runs four to five months. Four to five months. And the length of time, it really relates to kind of the, reaching the full potential of the partnership. Mm -hmm. And so the way we think about it is like naturally with any restaurant, you're typically doing seasonal menu changes. Mm -hmm. Obviously, my background at Dig, we were doing a lot like yeah, based on the vegetables. And, and all of our sourcing. Here, it's almost like we take that idea of a menu change and really try to like blow it out with new chefs mm -hmm. and like really reinvigorate the menu, welcome a whole new audience, introduce our audience to new chefs, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, also in that time period, we're really able to do, as Woldy's saying, a lot of fun things. So like more events, um, actually like supporting with Woldy's events that maybe exist outside of the Hungry House ecosystem. We really are like, meant to be that operating partner to help chefs scale their business, whatever form that takes. Like we are doing the production and that is a really valuable thing when like Woldy's only one person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I'm like all, all one man show. Yeah. One man show. So now right. there's like, like an outsourced team. Yeah, with Hungry House, it's like, oh, I need to work smarter, not harder. Mm -hmm. And you're so, not in the kitchen every day though, right? I'm no. not in the kitchen every day, but when we are developing new like recipes and drops, I'm, I'm there to sort of like yeah. work with their team and sort of get them excited about it. And right. sort of like, oh wow, this is something new. So like the kitchen is yeah. kind of like, learning new dishes that they're going to be like making so um, how has that process been of like handing it off and, and training I mean, did I'm you feel like you just handed my baby yeah I, listen when yeah. christine brought this idea to me i was a little skeptical i was like what the fuck is the ghost kitchen i didn't know what the ghost kitchen was until i did more research on it i'm like oh so it's basically like mega celebrities are just capitalizing on food and then you know it's made somewhere I don't know where, and then you're like, oh, you can order, you know, Mariah Carey's cookies. I'm like, oh, what? What, Mariah Carey has cookies? Oh, yes, she, she does. does. She does. The ghost kitchen industry say, like, is a weird thing. No, it's not a bad yeah. thing. It's great that, like, yeah. you know, you're, you're, like, monetizing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, extend yeah. the broadening their sort of, they're like, their brand, their yeah, brand. like, making it, yeah, yeah. more um, But, like, people. here I am as a chef. I'm like, oh, well, I'm not a mega. I'm, like, I'm kind of up and coming. I'm still kind of, like, you know, bootstrapping everything that I've been mm -hmm. doing, like pop-ups and, you know, and catering events, uh, you know, working with my team. But um, this was like, oh, well, this is something new. I was a little nervous about like what this means, but um, the control thing was something that like I was nervous about because I like to be involved and sort of making sure it's romanticized in a way that how I envision it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we found a happy medium yeah. where I work with their team. It's like, still kind of like uh, fits my aesthetic and flavors and giving it and providing to their team and executing it and sort of like um, standardizing it, which is like, to me, it's like, I don't standardize. I mean, I just kind of like, you know, I'm a fairy. So I think this is a yeah. great, you know, for me to sort of like- That's a good um, exercise. Yeah, yeah, it's a good exercise to be like, sort of like consistent, like, yeah. Lonnie has always told me, like, you gotta, like, have your recipes all formulated. And I'm like, I just don't have the time. Christian <laughs> like, has, like, all of this. It's, like, helping me yeah. standardize. How has your team dealt with 
this idea of cooking food from four different chefs yeah. and big, putting it all out at the same time and different yeah. cuisines. Different it's a lot. Products. So we do a lot of work on the front end to like standardize and streamline. So every chef we work with usually submits like eight to 10 recipes, but we really only launch with three to five. We try to keep it very streamlined, like the best of the best dishes, whether it's like ease of execution or the cost profile so we can keep the price of the dish, you know, really accessible to people. And then um, obviously controlling for what's gonna actually be executed day in, day out uh, from a complexity perspective in the kitchen. And so we, um, it feels like to them, they're just running a regular restaurant kitchen. You know, they, so there's four, there's four dish, four like three to five dishes from four different yeah. chefs on the menu at each time. Exactly, so like sixteen to twenty dishes basically. Yeah, but we cross utilize a lot of the yes. base ingredients mm -hmm. and prep like the cuts of the vegetables across all of them, mm -hmm. and so um, we like are then running like our grill station where we're maybe doing like both burgers, but also like cooking the proteins for the Caribbean concept. And then, you know, the fryer is doing both like the French fries, but also the crispy mushrooms that are on Woldy's menu. Mm -hmm. And so we try to like think through what is the complexity on each station and make sure we have as much crossover as possible. And all the food is meant to be to go, right? Or is it, is there, yeah. is there a dining option right now for so, the Navy Yard? Not technically, although we do partner with Transmitter to do all of their food. Mm -hmm. So we actually are like run food over to people who are at the brewery and then people who want to like right. sit down and enjoy. I mean, there are tables and chairs everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, really nice space. Cool. But it is yeah. different than the traditional ghost kitchen in the sense that you actually have a place where people can come and pick up their food. Yeah. See it being cooked. Exactly. Like a communal yeah. Space. We like, that's really important to me and, and this business because I think it is unsettling to not really know where your food comes from or have any picture. Like food's just very different than clothing. Cause like one you're eating and one you're not. Right. right and right. so the one you can return. It's like, yeah. send back the dress to Metaporta. <laughs> it doesn't like work. It, but like, but yeah. if you don't like your food or it's wrong, like you literally go hungry. It, right. There's a physical <laughs> sensation right, right. to that. So for, for us, you know, the transparency piece is like, we really want to bring peace of mind to where your food is coming from. It's why like on our website, we really try to talk about our suppliers. Yeah. We are a real food business, not just some ghost kitchen down a dark alley right. cooking from God knows what suppliers. And mm -hmm. so that's where we, I think it's both good for customers, but good for our chefs who want that's to know That's kind of like too. one of the main yeah. reasons why, you know, to me it was like transparency. It's like, oh, you're going to go somewhere and you know, you know where you're sourcing your, your ingredients. Mm -hmm. so like we yeah. source, you know, mushrooms and small holes. So yeah. that was really important to me to, uh, you know, it's part of my ethos, like, oh, but this is where I'm getting it from. It's like yeah. making sure that, like people know, like, oh, wow, you're getting it from there or small hold, and um, and that was something that was really important to make sure that like this partnership was like aligns with my values, and so obviously yeah. Kristen aligns with that. And her, you know, past you know experience working at Dig was like that was she that was her role. Right. Um, so I'm yeah. really excited that like you know this partnership came about, and that was one of the things that I really respect. Let's get back to cooking. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Do it. Do so it's fully it. incorporated. So yep. it's nice and gooey and nice delicious. Nice and gooey. Um, yeah. And then I would typically would take about a quarter, unless you have a quarter dry quarter cup, mm -hmm. um, like we're in an actual kitchen, home kitchen. Oh, no. <laughs> um, quarter cup. Quarter cup. So I would make sure 
to um, take your coconut oil spray and just make sure like um, you want to scoop it and sort of slide out of the cup into your muffin tin or your cupcake tin. So a quarter cup goes into each um, tin or cupcake mold. And then she's gonna go, once you fill it all up, she yeah. goes in the oven in the middle of the oven and bakes about Kirsten, what would you say about a home kitchen? Am mm -hmm. I thinking more? I like, know about, uh, um, I know, about probably half to forty minutes, just knowing that like yeah. it's not being baked in a nine-inch uh, cake pan. Yeah. But for this, also it's probably good. half of that, half that time. So yeah. maybe twenty minutes. Uh, but luckily we're in the kitchen, so we'll see how the hell that can figure that out. Well, what is doing that, Kristen? Tell yeah. us a little bit about. And we talked about how chefs like Woldy can benefit. Um, but you're also, whatever your current roster is, a chef that has brick and mortars just in a different yeah. market. Yeah. So how has the experience been for Martha Hooper with yeah. the burger? Apocalypse burger. She's yeah. killing it. I respect Martha Hooper and I respect her hustle <laughs> for hamburgers and I'm like, damn, you more than just it. the success of the yeah. sales. How is she looking at it as a way to expand to different markets? Yeah, so the second she created Apocalypse Burger last year, she called me and was like, I have this amazing brand that definitely like resonates more in her mind with the coastal cities than mm -hmm. Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. And so from the get-go, she was like, how do we scale this out of the city and was looking for options. And I hadn't started Hungry House at that time. And so we were always just in conversation mm -hmm. about the amazing brand they created in Apocalypse Burger and where she could take it. And so for that, you know, I think about Hungry House as working with great intellectual property, great brands. And so Woldy obviously has that. That's why he works with so many amazing other like collaborators and, you know, magazines, et cetera. Um, Apocalypse Burger is in the same vein. I see it as like amazing intellectual property. This brand that completely resonates with the moment we're living in. It's like end of the world anarchy with this like totally like sassy voice and great art to boot. So, um, for them, it's it's cool because we like they actually when they gave us the recipes had already validated them in an operational environment. So our onboarding process looked really different. But then all, obviously we're cooking other concepts alongside. And so we've done the work, as we do with each of our chefs, of really understanding how to make this scalable outside of just one location. And so it's been a really great partnership. We're looking forward to expanding it. Yeah. So when um, Kristen was telling me who were like the initial like uh, chefs or concepts, it was like, oh, you have Martha Hoover. I'm like, oh, cool. I love her. I respect her. And <laughs> yeah. you have Ralston um, from Food Sermon. Yeah. So it's like that kind of like, you know, made me feel confident that mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. I'm not just like lonely schmuck. I was like, what am I, <laughs> what am I doing? Like, what am I doing with these people? But like, I think that um, the fact that Kristen was able to like lock those two. Uh -huh. Including Rachel from The Good Smart was yeah. like, I, I think this is going to be like, I'm still nervous about it, but like, let's see. It's a new, wild, radical yeah. idea, and yeah. so it's like, I'm gonna go jump at this <laughs> yeah. and see where this yeah. goes. So, um, and I feel like Martha's killing it, Ralston's killing it, and obviously with season two, yeah, it's gonna um, be really you good. know, I feel like Pierce and then uh, Tony and um, Howie. Yeah. Um, 
Cafe Pana, I would be like, oh, well, mm-hmm. this is some some serious, you know, people are in, in to season two. Yeah. So tell us about how that changeover is going to work. Like, yeah. do you stop? Like, when do you, how do you, how, yeah. do, you, how do you train? What is that? Like, what does it look like when you're transitioning from season yeah. one to season two? And I'm curious also how the other collaborators feel about not being on the platform anymore. Because I know yeah. we'll be staying with Martha and... Ralston. Well, Martha's staying actually. Oh, so Ralston, yeah, so Ralston's the one rotating off. Okay. The way we think about our changes is that I don't want to flip the whole menu like mm-hmm. operationally. I think we all understand how much of a nightmare right. that would I was be. Like, are you gonna shut down? What do you know? <laughs> no, oh my god. Yeah. Um, so we think about changing between 25 and 30 percent of the menu every season. And part of this too is like acknowledging we're like incredibly early stage. Mm-hmm. So we don't have all the answers and like that amount might change yeah. season to season, how much we actually shift. So what we're doing is Ralston, um, like he is pursuing other really cool activities. Like he's working a lot in the islands, the nonprofit that he started mm-hmm. after the volcanic eruption mm-hmm. um, and really just like taking his focus somewhere else. And that's, why we honestly have this super modular, you know, model of seasons, because it allows chefs, like they might want to do this for four months, but not longer. They might want to do it one year or they might want to do it as long as possible. Um, And the way we look at it too is, is this chef like, you know, aligned with us from a vision and mission perspective? Do they, are they investing in the partnership in the same way we are to see it grow and scale and be successful? And so season two, we're bringing on Pierre Sabernathy and Tony Ortiz. We're really excited about the two of them. We're doing some great salads as well as some tortas mm-hmm. um, that are like insanely delicious. And with those partnerships, you know, we're starting off with pretty small menus, but we plan to launch more menu items throughout the season. And so. And then yeah. how does it work for the chef? So you mentioned it's a licensing agreement. Yeah. So you license, is it based on like a rev share? Yeah. So, so essentially it's just a rev share based on sales of your items. And so we're, you know, I always like to think about in business, how are the incentives aligned? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, them having, obviously they're going to get paid more, the more that they promote their menu or that it's successful. And if it's not working, it's not to say that we just like give up. We say, what can we tweak? Mm -hmm. Is it the pricing? Is the presentation? Do we need to promote it more or explain it better? Um, and really see it as that kind of collaborative journey together. Since you're getting like the data from what the customers are ordering, yes. and from like real time feedback, you're giving it back to the chefs, mm-hmm. and then you guys are oh, yeah. along the way. They get weekly reports yeah, with I, insights on sales. Every like, every week, <laughs> kind of like you see like yeah. the, all the different chefs and uh, concepts on there, and who's performing. I'm like, it's it's full transparency. It's like who's performing um, well and what certain dishes are performing well. Yeah. Um, and to me, it's like, ah. Uh, from this data point, it's like that's good to know and yeah. sort of like yeah. really figure out like how can we make this better? Yeah. How can we like improve yeah. this? So that like you know, um, it's for me it's training my sort of like business sense in a way because mm-hmm. I'm I'm always just a creative, but like in you get the real information yeah. from like how it's doing, it's like a mind blowing, <laughs> um, you know, you know, experience. Like, wow, this is like doing well. What's not doing well? So. Um, and I think for me, it's like, from my perspective of it, from the chef or sort of the chef influencer, yeah. um, you know, obviously yeah, the landscape. Yeah, come up with a name for that. Like, yeah, I creator. Mean, I don't know. Creators, yeah. Um, I think it's like, yeah. you know, with food influencers or food creators or content creators, from my perspective, it's basically like they are making food 
through social media. Yeah. And I feel like people want to like actually have access to their food. Yeah. And this is a model that's gonna be like, oh wow, it's like you have this large community of followers and they want to eat your food and not just like make it, but like I want to eat actually Pierce's food or Tony yeah. or mine's or Martha's or whomever. Yeah. And they actually get to a tangible thing and they get to eat at home or eat it at their office. And so that's kind of like, um, you know, really be connected to your community. Have you changed any, any of your menu items based on that feedback? And has anything like really surprised you? Um, like, I, there's, I mean, there's, there's been feedback for sure. And I always yeah. take the grain of salt. Oh, how do you say it? Yeah, the salt, salt, yeah. And then be like, yeah. oh, well, this is from their perspective. And say, and I literally relay it back to Kristen. Yeah. Like, if there's a customer literally like texting me. Oh, customers like, text yes. you. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Feeling yes. That they like DM him instead of like Hungry House? With Not at all. Yeah. They would DM, really, DM me and they'll yeah. like, really oh, and like, right. these are my thoughts. Yes. And this is so good or whatever. Why do people think it's okay? Like, I think it's, I, 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 yeah, I, 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 I assume it's mostly positive, though. You, well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it is positive, but also I kind of like want to actually hear. I mean, right. that part yeah. of it is like really, you know, be still connected to your community yeah. and then relaying it to Kristen and say, this is what they said. Like, yeah. how can we um, perhaps accommodate these sort of, sort of changes? Yeah. So like, it is better because it, it is my name. Yeah, it's it like the food that like, yeah. I developed with Hungry House. So I want to make sure that like they are happy. You're like you want happy yeah. customers so that like, they can come back and like buy more of your food. So and like the way I think about it too, and the way I like level set with any of the chefs that we work with is we're gonna like build this thing and control for as many of the outcomes as possible. But we also don't know what's going to happen. And we've all like been a part of kitchens where like a customer is unhappy or something happens. So we always talk about like that is the reality of serving food to people. And the reality of serving any product. Yeah, any product. Yeah. So so I like kind of prepare them mentally. Like you're gonna get like DMs from customers being like, I tried this and this was unexpected, or I wish it was bigger. And I say, like, pass it on to us. We could actually do something about it. And that's like kind of the exciting impetus and it also is like testing your products in the market yeah. mm -hmm. one like thing that's super exciting about season two i'm beyond like pumped for is that Woolies actually collaborating with omsom oh. on a dish um if you're Mom, familiar Mom. yeah omsom is are amazing yeah i mean they built an incredible company and you know in talking to them they recently partnered with chopped we're going to be their second food service partner and, you know, they built this brand that resonates with such a large community, but they've also learned that their community wants to connect with their brand in many different formats and ways. And this is a way for them to like try the product without actually having to cook the food. And so we're super excited about that. And like, you know, I see a huge world where we're partnering chef creators with great CPG brands, yes. like bring new mm -hmm. products to market to test them, mm -hmm. to get that feedback. And like, ultimately data is what's so valuable here. And is you know, obviously super interesting to you, like to test it at the scale. And so I think like sky's the limit in terms of what we can do there. So you obviously have big plans, which I love. Yeah. So tell yeah. us how, how scalable is this model and like where, you know, I know you're going into season two, but yeah. is it more locations, is it different markets? Like yeah. how, what's your, your picture for scaling? 
I mean, so big picture, and I can talk about like what's actually happening in the near term, but big picture, I see us being in like major metropolitan areas where our chefs and brands that we partner with want to be. Like ultimately for me, the entire mission here is to create like the most valuable infrastructure for supporting the chefs that I believe like are the stars of our generation, right? And so um, that's the big picture. The way we think about growth in the near term is we're really focused on New York. It's obviously like uh, part of our curation of the chefs. They all have ties to New York and are really relevant in this market. Um, we're going to be expanding to Manhattan, which we're so excited about. An amazing location Super in the West excited. Village. Yeah, yeah it's going to be great. Um, the same menu, this in Brooklyn. Yes. You all run seasonally different menus. Yeah, always the same. So the model... If you go to different markets, it's going to be the same, like even if you leave... Yeah, potentially smaller localized collaborations as we enter a market, just because our model is so conducive to that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, really for us, like the dream is that our chefs can then say, hey, all of New York, you can buy my food. Mm-hmm. We're scaling, though, more like a quick serve restaurant. Like, that's our model. That's the way we think about our menu, our resources, our training, and our scalability. And then the way that we go beyond just being quick serve is that, you know, as we were saying, like, we're the production arm of the Woldy Casino brand, right? And so there are so many opportunities beyond just, like, ready-to-eat takeout food, We've actually started like a huge wholesale business where we're producing like cold pre-prepared meals that are going to networks of fridges throughout the city to grocery delivery startups. And so by, for us, like working with amazing intellectual property and brands and people that other companies want to work with, like we're able to actually drive more and more opportunities since we are the means of production Mm -hmm. for these chefs. So, you know, again, it's all about like creating this infrastructure and for us like the more locations we have the more kitchens we have the better so yeah cool i mean that's great what for me <laughs> from my perspective is that like as the chef as this brand i built for Woldy cucina so talking Woldy cucina is a separate <laughs> thing um it's just like there's accessibility to my food now i feel yeah. like um before you know i do these pop-ups here and there and then during private events upstate uh, you know, like doing catered events and I'm not as accessible if you like come email me directly and then, yeah. you know, work on an event or a pop-up situation. Here it's like, uh, you can order my food. You can go to order at Hungry House and you have sort of all my signature dishes available and so you can eat it at home. So that's kind of like great that like Kristen has allowed me to be more accessible. So, um, so that's kind of like from my, you know, vantage point from it. Yeah. And how does that work with like from the marketing perspective? So yeah. are you you're relying on the chef influencers to drive traffic and cross promote each other? Like, is there set terms there? How do, how yeah, do it's it's really collaborative, like and, and somewhat I let it be more like intuitive and natural to better understand what is the right way to promote this partnership and tell that story. Because I think as we've all acknowledged, this is like a very new model yeah. that like everyone's figuring out there is no playbook. Um, We definitely think about it through the business perspective of being so fortunate that our model works with, you know, influencers that have this reach, have this connection to their followers. Um, But we also like do a lot of marketing activities just as Hungry House. We obviously have a small storefront as part of our real estate strategy. So we acquire customers through our Hungry House sign in a local community, which is huge for us. 
Um, and so it's that give and take. They're going to be promoting like any new drops, the launch of the partnership, stories on a regular basis. Um, you know, we're going to probably be driving towards a more formulaic approach after this initial period of launching and now learning again with second season. But yeah, it's it's really an amazing kind of like built-in dynamic we have for the model itself. Well, for me, from my perspective, it's, it's guerrilla style. It's um, I feel like whatever, like any yeah, drop yeah. is like literally like, oh yeah, well, let's just go to the Hungry House Kitchen and like literally figure out like how we're going to promote this. Like, should I dance? Should I like, <laughs> should I dance? You know, whatever it is. To we haven't done enough dancing like, all day. <laughs> literally lure people into like, yeah. and getting people really excited about yeah. whatever the fuck we're <laughs> dropping. So, yeah. um, and I feel like that's kind of like, what's cool about this like we're so nimble and basically like we're gonna do whatever and really like you know blast it out on social media and get yeah. really people excited and hopefully like they'll order it because like i saw you dancing i'm gonna order that has it worked i feel like that's um you know yeah. you have all these chef personalities that are out there and i yeah. feel like they're gonna like it, it's fun it's new it's like it's not like um yeah it's part of the process for me at least and also like it has to feel comfortable to them like yeah. I think this is the thing that a lot of brands have awoken to for influencer marketing is like you can't be like this is exactly what you're going to post and how it has to be of your voice mm -hmm. and like and what's more authentic than your food and so you know obviously in the future as we grow and scale having resources and places to do content film you know, like access our kitchens on a more programmatic basis, very important to us because it's ultimately that like collaborative storytelling that's like so important here. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the, just some of the, the process. Who, oh. I'm like starting. Are you starting? The <laughs> <laughs> week is coming out too. Yeah. So anyways, I'm like, my <laughs> How are people ordering? Are people ordering like two dishes from each chef or people are coming for Woldy and they order everything from Woldy versus yeah. someone else. So we see that people enter with like an order that is what we call like a single brand order. They're just ordering yeah. from Woldy. Um, Woldy crushes it for delivery because like every, it's just really interesting to see the relationship he has with his customers. But after that, obviously they're subscribed to our email list and they like learn the story of Hungry House. And so what we've seen over time is they like have their second order, their third, fourth, fifth, sixth, they like all convert to being multi-brand like Hungry House right. customers. And so that's where we have this interesting brand architecture of both being like, this is Woldy's food, but we're calling out that Hungry House is the collaborator. And so then people, you know, our, our, our mission here is like, they come in, they love all these food and they're like, well, Hungry House must have good stuff. Let me go try the burgers. Right. You can have repeat customers the same way we go to the local Essex market, right? Yeah. Like, yeah like, think about Essex market, but you're essentially the yeah. tiny version of a, of a of market in that sense. Exactly. How are exactly. you doing delivery? Are you partnering? Are you doing it yourself? Are the plans yeah. for yourself if you are partnering? <laughs> is it going so. well? Are they, are they killing you on margins? Like, how's, how's that going? So part of what was also really important in the setup of, like, how we you know, thought about our website and actually working with our influencer chefs is that our website, you can order delivery through and we have outsourced it to a third party. Okay. Um, 
that allows us to actually like control the margins way better. So we can charge a customer's delivery fee that's not exorbitant. It's in line with like what we all pay as New Yorkers um, to get their food delivered. Here's like a Relay or like one of those. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So DoorDash Drive or Relay, um, those are great third-party delivery providers. It's a flat fee. It's not going to take 30%. Mm-hmm. That being said, we also think it's really cool for Woldy to have his own storefront like on DoorDash and Uber Eats and Grubhub. So we do do that, but it's so really can come to just Woldy. Yeah, they could be like, oh, I follow Woldy. He's on Grubhub. That's super cool. I think about it purely as brand exposure. I'm like, I just want Woldy's name everywhere. Right. Um, the majority of our deliveries come through our native website mm-hmm. because people are discovering us through their links on their Instagram profiles or whatever, um, and then going to our native platform. We get their data. We're able to like tell the story, and it's better for the economics. I tell everybody that like I yeah. now that I. I think like that's something that's changed too. Is like I always go to the business's website for or something in case they have something native because it yeah. is better. And so yeah. you're obviously thinking about your marketing channels. It sounds like you're doing email. Are you doing any paid advertising? We're not. We no. don't. Um, we like have our chefs built in. And so in the future, we definitely see a paid advertising world. But yeah. it's been really interesting since the iOS change. Like everyone's freaking out about paid advertising. Yeah. We are somewhat insulated from that, thank goodness. And so that's been good. Yeah. <laughs> it's been hard. Tell us a little bit about the foundation of, of um, the business. Are you self-funded or did you raise money? We raised capital okay. to start the business. We definitely like realized in the beginning, like, oh, we need to get started <laughs> and like actually open a physical location, which obviously takes capital. So we raised from some outside investors. Okay. How was that yeah. process? Um, for me, actually, I was very fortunate. I have some incredible investors that I met and we aligned. They'd been investing in the ghost kitchen space and had actually seen a lot of like the challenges and dynamics up close. So they knew what I was building and why it mattered. Otherwise, it's like a relatively like complex model that's like you first have to understand ghost kitchens, then you need to understand why this is different and like why the chef relationship matters. So we partnered with some investors that have a lot of you know activity in the prop tech real estate space, but also in ghost kitchens. And so we um, worked with them. Do you think you'll need to go back and raise more to keep growing past the West Village or even for the yeah, West Village? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we're actively fundraising right now. They're um, fundraising. Like, yeah, they're fundraising. If anybody knows anybody. Yeah. <laughs> if you're um, listening, like, watching. Yeah. Are you, are you doing like a series? It's a it would be our seed. seed. Yeah, exactly. So we did the pre seed. How much you want to, are you looking for? We're raising between two and three million dollars. Okay. Yeah. And so for that, you know, we really think about what's the milestone we want to reach before we raise a series A to really like blow out like this model and expand mm-hmm. like in a much bigger fashion. So for us, we see this um, providing the capital we need to expand across New York really successfully, and then hopefully launch a pop-up in our second target market, which would be Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so this like, round, you would hope to have a coverage area of the entire city, essentially. Yeah, essentially. How many locations is that? Mean? We think like three to four will get us in Manhattan good coverage through our delivery zones without the bike, you know, the couriers having to travel too far. Right. And yeah. Miami is number two. Yeah. Why Miami? For us, we've seen just, I feel like, such a strong relationship um, bloom during the pandemic between New York yeah. and Miami's food scene. <laughs> Everywhere. in the South? Yeah, like literally New York. Yours. It's downtown yeah. now. Yeah. And, um, you know, but it's also like, where is like the media? Where do our chefs want to be? Like 
already Tony, who's joining us for season two, was doing like these really cool events and pop-ups in Miami. And so I, I think about kind of like, where would their brand, where is their yeah. proof of concept that this brand would work or this person has relevance or our chefs want to be? Um, and so Miami for us is a really exciting way. And then also like, We've been living in the pandemic for two years. The Miami, like Miami is like almost a hedge against the dynamics of New York. It's reacted very differently to the pandemic. And so I think about it as being a very balancing force in the business. People move in a very different way in Miami. Yeah. Than in, in New York City. And people live and work differently. How would you have to adapt the business there to sort of, right? Because people are driving around people yeah. differently, I feel like. I mean, right. well, it's the same people, I think, in a lot of ways that like the same food. Yeah. How does that dynamic change? So what would probably be different there in the way that we've thought about it is the relationship to our storefront and foot traffic and the placement of it. And so we are right now are like in the Navy Yard, actually part of this campus of, right. you know, the workplaces there. It's this campus of 11,000 people at full occupancy. And so we've really become like this beloved lunch option. When we think about a place like Miami where people are driving, it impacts um, generally like foot traffic in the various neighborhoods, uh, obviously like whether we're targeting lunch versus dinner more, how we think about also the delivery radius and the relative kind of setup of a hub location and then other spokes throughout the city. And so it's definitely going to have to shift and it's really about picking what that first location is that I think is so important from like a brand exposure perspective and also like just the business fundamentals to get right. So you're gonna stay on until you go to Miami. <laughs> I mean, we'll stay. I mean, I think Wally's gonna stay forever. <laughs> I feel like the. Um, I think like also part of it is like I think the chef influencers are it's gonna promote it and be like, yeah. oh, this is where their other target market is located, and right. so they're gonna like come and and try their actual food. They're like, oh, yeah. like, instead of New York, like, oh, they're in Miami now. Like, I am gonna go get my yeah. food through Hungry House because there's Pierce or there's Tony or there's Martha. That's yeah. Where, yeah. So um, yeah. I think that's kind of like the, the cool thing about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Did you know that over 70% of diners research a restaurant online before ordering from or going in person? Your digital front door is more important than ever. Let Bento Box design and build you a beautifully branded website. Bento Box websites provide sleek design and seamless content management creating impactful first impressions and converting visitors into customers. And with built-in commerce and marketing tools like online ordering, gift cards, automated email, and more, you can also grow your revenue and keep your diners coming back. Join over 8,000 restaurants that leverage Bento Box to power their digital presence and deliver great hospitality. Visit getbento.com chef today to get your first month free. That's getbento.com slash chef. HRN is excited to announce that we've launched our channel on Kitsch, the new food-centric live streaming video platform for interviews, cooking classes, and more. 
In April, in collaboration with Kitsch and the Mushroom Council, we're celebrating Earth Month with delicious, nutritious, and sustainable mushroom recipes. Check out the latest videos on our channel to see Eat Your Heartland Out host Capri Cafaro, Jupiter's Almanac host Matthew Rayford, and Item 13 host Yoramaku Aku moderate recipe demos with chefs Jeremy Fox and Ali Rosen. Join us at K-I-T-T-C-H dot com to become part of the first live streaming community for the food obsessed. Should we check our mozinka? Oh, yes. I definitely smell mozinka. Might have been about 12. Oh, she's not ready yet. She's not ready yet. Yeah. 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 Should we lightning round while we wait for our mozinkas? So we always, these are the questions we always ask every yeah. guest, basically. Um, yeah, I'm like, so you know them. <laughs> we, 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 we didn't have a chance to print out our notes today. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna see if we can, how well we remember. You go, you start. Uh, this is a hard one because you have multiple chefs. <laughs> Favorite menu. Oh no! <laughs> I think I can. Uh, I know, I you, you know what I'm saying. Just in case. Um, <laughs> it has to be something off all these menus. No, I mean, it is though, and that's the honest answer is the crispy mushroom balaklak, which, which has this like insane Fresno coconut hot sauce yeah, yeah. that is just mm. pure magic. Yeah. Your yeah. favorite, not on your menu. Not on my menu. Um, I do like Ralston's, um, you know, their uh, curry chickpeas that, yeah. that he makes. Mm -hmm. there. So I just love his flavor profile because like it's all like me. Like I enjoy like it's spicy. Yeah, it's, it's heavily flavored for me. Mm -hmm. So I like I enjoy that, and also I enjoy Martha's, you know. Um, burgers and fries, but I'm really excited about like season two. Like and those chickpeas will yeah. be gone soon. Yeah. So when will? Yeah. When is the actual turnover? Uh, April twenty fifth. April twenty fifth. Yeah. So, oh, are you changing any dishes? dishes I'm adding. Uh, yes. I'm adding a new uh, dish to my menu, which is the Amsam collaboration, right, which is right. the fried tofu sisi bowl. Ooh, yeah. Um, so it has jasmine rice, fried tofu that's marinated in the Amsam sisi um, flavor, and then. Uh, served with a crunchy vegetable slaw and then drizzled with the amsam cc mayo that's in there mm. as well. And then uh, the chocolate babinka that was super popular during Valentine's mm. Day. So that's going to be a nice decadent treat. And the cucina salad. And the cucina salad. Ooh. How could you yeah. forget? I mean, I was like, there's so many. I'm riled up. I'm like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yes. yeah, it was just the cucina salad, which yeah. is um, uh, lettuce with uh, roasted broccoli sweet potatoes, golden raisins, pumpkin seeds, uh, and marinated cucumbers with a miso tahini Ooh. dressing. So yes. which I'm really excited about. It's a, kind of like the kitchen salad, my version, but it's called the cucina salad. Yeah. So, kitchen uh, sink salad. Yes. Style. Yes. Yeah. 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 And what about, what's like the best selling item right now? Oh gosh. Um, probably it's like usually a tie between um, the chicken bowl from Ralston. Mm -hmm. Chicken and rice is like a classic. Yeah. So we are doing a format of like a chicken and rice bowl on season two. And then the smash apocalypse burger from Martha. What's your split between delivery versus in store? We are currently like 75% in store. Oh, wow. And 25% delivery. 
Is that, yeah. Do you think that's because of this first location that it's in maybe you are and you have yeah. that built-in foot traffic and Brooklyn's like a little Absolutely. bit Absolutely. It's, it was a complete shock because when I launched, I was like, oh, I'm, you know, launching a ghost kitchen company. It's going to be like, <laughs> orders will come in slow. We'll like over time, we'll build it up and like, it'll be even lunch dinner. We did not anticipate the reaction from the Navy Yard community. And so we got slammed and I was like, oh, we're, we're like a quick serve lunch restaurant. <laughs> like, and, and had to completely shift our operations wow. in the first three weeks because we did not like build out our systems to accommodate that type of flow. That's so interesting. Um, and so I don't think that every single location will look like this. Um, but it's a testament to your anti-ghost kitchen theory. Yeah, which is also like if I was doing exclusively delivery as a business, we would not be profitable. Mm, right. Like you actually, this is part of like that anti-ghost kitchen theory, right? Mm -hmm. So the margins are nearly impossible to make work when you think about a restaurant model and then all of your you know revenue coming with 10 to 30% commission mm -hmm. attached from a delivery platform. So for us, it almost like de-risks all the fun delivery business. And it's why... Having Hungry House as being a brand and the experience of customers, it actually unlocks a cohesive and exciting pickup and walk-in business, which no other ghost kitchen can really do because they haven't really built that brand. Mm -hmm. And so for us, you know, again, that's where it comes into play from like a business model perspective that we also are then creating like new fans of Woldies from our activities on the ground, just connecting with the local community. Your guerrilla style marketing. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Best uh, food cost item? Mm, um, probably one of the house special salads that we have on our menu. This is a section of the menu where we make the model work in terms of the actual supply chain complexity. So we think about what are all of our partner chefs doing? And then what can we make like salads and grain bowls from to push more volume on fresh product that yeah, otherwise wouldn't. Hungry House created dishes that yeah. are separate from the chefs as well. They're like generic, meant to like kind of just generally move more product and ensure that like quality stays high for the vegetables right. we're using elsewhere. Otherwise you're throwing everything in the garbage. Exactly. Yeah. And so like the Cucina so. salad has roasted sweet potatoes. We actually put them in a grain bowl. It's basically like okay, do you want jasmine rice or greens as your base? Because he has jasmine rice on his menu. Then you pick your vegetable sides and it's like, oh, well, it's the carrots from Pierce's menu. You can add the guacamole from Tony's menu as like a sauce. And it's just allows us to cross utilize at a higher rate. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, best piece of business, best business resource. Ooh. Can be a person, a podcast, a uh, book. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think of like my experience at Zool as my resource, which was like really working in the ghost kitchen industry and understanding the dynamics. I've seen so many people come into the industry being like, I'm going to create a ghost kitchen and like <laughs> things go haywire <laughs> because it's more expensive than you ever thought. You like need to think about digital customer acquisition. Like the storefront piece was something I learned at Zool. It's really hard to acquire customers without telling local community you're mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. So I look back on that experience constantly to really like validate and, you know, build our strategy here with Hungry House. What about for you? This best business resource? Yeah. Um, right now, I think it's Kristen Barnard. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, just because I'm like, I'm just blown away by 
sort of like her understanding of the business. So for me, I'm just like this fairy who wants to create, <laughs> who wants to just like share my story about food. And then Kristen's there to like execute it and then produce it. And then I'm like, and I learned so many great things from her. So, and also like the whole team at Hungry House, because it's a female led mm -hmm. um, company and there's some really awesome people that are working there. So uh, they're hustling, they're like, she jumps in in the line when she someone literally was saying when she got here that she was like making the bacon. Yeah, so <laughs> like they were busy. I made the bacon. Um, literally, it's like it's like they get yeah. in the trenches, yeah. and so um, and I feel like that's kind of been like you know they care. Alex and I have a saying: it's never not schlepping for business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> truly. Did you see how many bags I was carrying here this morning? I am schlepping. <laughs> we're gonna yeah. wrap up. We're gonna let our. I think we're almost finish. ready. It's almost I mean, ready. I think we she think. can be pulled out. Let's let's see her. Let's see how it looks. Yeah. Well, actually, when you are taking this out, I mean, I usually would have like a, a toothpick so that like I insert it so yeah. it comes out clean. Yeah. Um, and have a knife. Oh, you can do that nice. it smells delicious. Yeah, smells it smells like coconut. So yes, coconut yes. heaven. Yeah. Um, so oh, she rose. What's that? She rose. Um, Here you go. Is it clean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, almost. Uh, <laughs> uh, but right. she's almost there. Right. We can always put a, a, a little snippet up at the end of the video. Yeah. yeah. Finish With the finish, so yeah. Like it's where it needs to be. Yeah. yeah. So we're like, putting that back in. Tell us before you do how people find you on social. Um, house. You can find me at Woldy Cucina on Instagram. On uh, TikTok, I also have TikTok, but it's not really food related. There's just dancing. He <laughs> loves uh, to be DM'd feedback. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Please. Yeah. Send me your DMs about yeah. your experience with Hungry House with yeah. my food. Um, yeah. At Woldy Cucina. And, yeah. then, and then how do we find Hungry House? We're at Order Hungry House on Instagram and TikTok um, or orderhungryhouse.com if you want to place an order to actually try Boldy's mm -hmm. delicious food. And you're available, obviously, in Brooklyn, around Navy Yard area, and then you've got yeah. like a, how many mile radius? Four mile delivery Four radius, radius, so we can yeah. deliver all the way to the top of Greenpoint, down to Prospect Park. But so not yet into New York. Not, not yet into Manhattan. Manhattan is opening soon. Yeah, by, <laughs> by the end of Q2. <laughs> <laughs> the end of Q2. <laughs> we Which will have... We don't know. It's like probably late spring, right? Yeah, at least spring, early summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Very soon. Very soon. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. You can follow us at Till at NYC and at We Are Opening Soon and on Heritage Radio as well. Opening soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You could also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.